Listen to all of Weill Cornell Medicine's informative podcasts at weillcornell.org slash podcasts. Welcome to Weill Cornell Medicine Cancer Cast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm your host, Dr. John Leonard, and today's topic will be confronting a cancer diagnosis and back to reality after treatment. Today's guest is Cece Webster. Cece is a recent survivor and a patient at Weill Cornell Medicine in New York Presbyterian Hospital. She's also the author of So That Happened, a memoir that offers a candid reflection on her experience with cancer as a young adult. Diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma at the age of 29, Cece is now in remission and sharing her story, her perspective, and her insights in hopes of raising awareness of the disease and helping others through the battle, always with a little bit of humor. So Cece, it's really great to have you here today. And uh, I'm so glad that you uh, agreed to come and speak with us today a little bit about your experiences. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited um, and uh, proud to be a patient um, at Wild Cornell, especially under um, your team's treatment. So yeah, happy to be here. Great. So why don't we start today? And and obviously every uh, every patient dealing with cancer has kind of their own unique story, their own background, their own perspective. And, and we're going to get into your experiences and how uh, they, what we can can think about and learn from uh, in general in patients in in uh, your type of scenario. But just tell us in in a few minutes a little bit about your story as far as dealing with uh, with lymphoma. Well, as you can imagine, and of course you were there when I was diagnosed. Um, it was uh, something that totally and completely blindsided me. I had never really been sick. Um, as a child or, or throughout my early adult life, um, when I was starting to experience the symptoms, I was flying at the level of, you know, maybe it's a hormonal imbalance or a thyroid dysfunction. So when a lymphoma diagnosis came through, I was in, in pure shock, um, and completely thrown out of, uh, out of my comfort zone. And I didn't, even have the words to kind of understand what exactly that meant to me. Um, you guys and the team at Wild Cornell um, were were so great in managing me through that point, as well as getting me into treatment and providing me all the resources that I needed, um, like fertility assessment and things like that. And and you know it was a team effort. We all came out the other side, but I can tell you the experience was completely different than how I thought it would be going into it. Um, I definitely, I, I thought, you know, using my background in pharmaceutical marketing, I was exposed to all of the breakthrough cancer treatments and I was actually expecting like a once a day pill or something. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll probably work right through this. It'll just be a quick blip on the radar. Not a big deal. No problem. Lymphoma over in six months. Like it's like nothing ever happened not how it went down. <laughs> totally different experience. Um, but it turned out to be a really good story. And so I wrote about it and that's in my memoir. So that happened. Great. So we'll, we'll come to that uh, more specifically in a, in a few minutes. But one of the things that is 
not unique, but perhaps less common about your scenario is you were diagnosed when you're 29. And, um, you know, people are used to dealing with cancers and cancers are more common in, as you get older. And certainly by the time most people get to be in their 60s and 70s, either they themselves or their families or friends are dealing with cancer. And so that's a whole set of issues for older people. But there's an increasing attention um, by the National Cancer Institute and others, including those of us who take care of lymphoma patients and other uh, patients who have uh, cancers diagnosed at, at younger ages to deal with the unique issues of the what are termed the adolescent young adult population, which is broadly defined as as age 15 to 39. And obviously, there's a big range of issues in there. So give us your sense of kind of what's what was particularly a challenge for you being in that age group and the things that um, are issues you know, that confronted you that wouldn't be issues for, um, you know, someone more typically diagnosed with cancer, say, in their 60s and 70s. Right. Um, so many um, kind of unique challenges with any cancer diagnosis. With mine um, at 29, I mean, we as humans are not programmed to understand our mortality um, in uh, to that acute extent. Um, that was one of the biggest kind of found foundational shakeups was to um, get a, a life-threatening disease and uh, be at an age where you your concept of your lifespan and time seems infinite and invincible. Um, your career is just starting. Everything is so exciting and growing so fast and and to uh, be presented with a, a, a very precarious um, kind of it almost was like a life sentence uh, was um, totally, uh, you know, earth shattering at that point. Another challenge um, beyond kind of that foundational shakeup was. Uh, this outward or projected fear of being different than your peers and not just different, but less than or broken, um, incomplete, that you're kind of like uh, a, a, a bent model. Um, it was it was a lot of life that was handed at you in a small amount of time. Um, and in in my experience, I was more scared of the impact that all of this would have on me and the plan that I had made for myself and the career that I was building um, and the goals I had for myself, I was more afraid of what this would do to all of that than, than the loss of life itself. Um, I probably can attribute that to, to you, Dr. Leonard and your team, because I, I wasn't afraid of dying. I didn't think that I would die. Um, but I knew that this would have a profound impact on my life and that change was out of my control, which was utterly terrifying, um, to a person with my personality type. <laughs> <laughs> so a few minutes ago, you alluded to the concept of all of the surprises and, and there are very few people who aren't surprised by the experience of a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Everyone has preconceived notions based on typically friends, family, et cetera. What, what were just a couple of the things that surprised you the most 
or that were almost surprising surprises and that they were so different than what you expected? Well, again, um, my my background came from the pharmaceutical world, and here I was marketing kind of groundbreaking therapies and drugs, and really at the forefront of their of their um, science. Um, I was helping these companies, big pharma, kind of introduce um, to the world these these brands, specifically oncology. Ironically, um, my understanding of what type of treatment I would go through was in accordance with those kind of breakthrough therapies. Now, when I uh, first got diagnosed, I, I really, I believe that cancer had made a mistake when it had chosen me. And I, when we first sat together in that first meeting of ours, I just, I could not believe that this was happening to me. Um, I had never dealt with anything of this magnitude before. Um, and so my my go-to uh, reaction or instinct was to just, you know, put my head down, plow right through it. This is going to be fine. It's going to be quick, easy, and over soon. And it'll be like nothing ever happened and nothing ever changed. And I'll be, I'll get my life back in six months and you, Dr. Leonard, you're going to put it all back together again and I'll, I'm going to be fine. Like I said, not the experience living through it. You mean I didn't put it all back together? <laughs> you did beautifully. <laughs> um, the emotional impact was had great resonance um, and will continue to do throughout my life. Um, it took one drip from that first treatment for me to realize that I had gotten this wrong, that I was going to need help. And I needed to help my body through this in, in any way, shape or form that I could possibly, um, I could possibly imagine. So I really tried everything, as you know, I tried everything that, uh, could make me feel better, uh, less nauseous, less tired, healthier, happier. Um, and I did that really kind of tootling around New York City on my good weeks. Uh, I came in for chemo every other week. So I had one good, good shining week in there. And I, I really explored um, all these different therapies and um, th uh, treatments uh, that kind of I, my gut was telling me to, to go to. And I, I really, some of it worked and some of it didn't. Um, but I, it was, it, very much a support to me um, in making that commitment to myself and promising that the next six months is for me, that I am going to do everything in my power to help myself through this. And I, I'm, I cannot go through it and pretend like this is not happening. Um, so that was the biggest, that was the biggest surprise. So, so what are, and we're going to come because obviously you're doing well now as we've talked about and, and we want to get into to kind of what that's like in a different phase of, of dealing with things and its whole set of issues. But um, what, you know, what are one or two of the top kind of pieces of advice you would give to caregivers, to friends, family, you know, to help people through this? You alluded to needing lots of help. Um, how can people help? And and I think, uh, again, in the younger age group, it's a little different because, you know, you can go to a group of older women and half the people in the room have 
had or experienced breast cancer, breast biopsies, et cetera, as an example, men with prostate cancer, you know, around the cocktail party. But, you know, you go to a gathering of people your age, not many have had this experience. So what, what would you advise people, you know, to help a friend or a family member dealing with this uh, in this situation? So I think everybody requires support in a different way. Um, be it, you know, holistically or spiritually or socially. Um, I learned through my experience that cancer makes people feel really uncomfortable at this age. Um, and again, I, I really believe that it it is based on um, that fear that life doesn't go to plan, that you can't control um, a disease or, or, or what happens to you. Um, it was very interesting to see how people and and my age group specifically um, reacted to my diagnosis, and then were very creative in their ideas of how to how to help and support. For example, um, one of my friends, very very best friends, sent me a bonsai tree because the bonsai tree lives for I think a thousand years, <laughs> um, and flowers die too fast. So it was a metaphor for my life. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Like very creative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But again, revolving around the idea of death, it was just, it was um, really, really interesting to see kind of how people approached and, and um, put themselves kind of in a supportive position, which all is appreciated and well-intended. Um, sometimes the, the best, Sometimes I would really have a hard time um, answering all the emails that came in, which were overwhelming and, and so beautiful to read, but uh, really hard to respond to. And sometimes the text would prompt responses or let me know how I can help you and all of these things. I It was very difficult for me to take somebody up on that offer. Um, what worked for me, and I think the best approach for me, um, was little pieces of uh, normal, uh, mm -hmm. like a friend called on her walk to work and just told me about their, you know, their night last night and, you know, what they were, that the, they got uh, coffee and what they were going to do today. And it was almost a way for me to live a, a normal five minutes um, while I was kind of in the midst of chemo. But I think the Back to your question with the best advice, um, the best thing you can do is educate your your friends and family on how you want or need to be supported. Mm -hmm. um, be vocal about what you need or what you don't want. Yeah, that's great. So now you're adapting to, you know, what one might turn the new reality. I don't want to say back to normal because uh, I'm sure in some ways things are back to normal and in some ways uh, things are not going to be normal again, but what is, what's that like, um, going through the process of kind of, uh, adapting to, you know, the new you, the life, life after all of this. And again, to reiterate, you know, you're doing well from the cancer perspective and, you know, expected to live a normal life. That's our plan. So, you know, how do you get there? What that, what's that like? So, uh, I really, obviously was anticipating very much uh, the day that you would walk into the room with the, with the folder in hand and you would say, it's all gone. You're in remission. Um, that moment, it was overwhelmingly happy. Um, 
but I have to say that moving through that days or weeks later, coming out of treatment was the hardest part for me in it all. Um, it was like someone had handed me a stick shift when I only knew how to drive an automatic. It was dealing with a different body, with different needs. There I was um, taking myself up out of that apartment um, and going back to work full time in my old job. And I was so eager to um, get back to what everything, to get back to everything that I was doing before um, with the same goals and the same ambition. And what cancer did was it, it took from me my ability to be excited about that future six months ago. It uh, robbed me of those ambitions and replaced it with something different. And um, this feeling completely out of your control um, or out of my control. And it, I, I'm the, sitting at my job and I'm, I'm so disconnected with it all. And it, it doesn't matter to me. And, and I can't find the importance in it anymore. Or I can't find the fun that I had in it anymore. Um, it was, that was a very uh, scary experience because my whole life that I had built and the plan that I had designed, it it went away um, and I didn't know how to get it back. But I knew that I had to feel excited. I had to feel passion. I had to feel, I had to fall in love with my life again. And I, I didn't know where to start or what to do. Um, so I quit <laughs> without a plan. <laughs> um, and I thought, I need to follow this feeling of of purpose and and excitement, and I need to stay on that quest that I that I was on six months during therapy of of finding things that make me feel good. Um, and so I started writing, and I I I found purpose in that, and I thought this this is a, this is a good story that might actually help somebody experiencing. Um, not just cancer, but any, any challenge of, of self-development and, and self-awareness. So it bloomed into, into a business. So plan B actually turned out to be pretty good. <laughs> so, so you've written a book, So That Happened. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that that's around your experiences and, uh, you know, the title and, and your description, give it there. How, if people want to look at that, how can they find that book? It is available uh, through Amazon okay. and Barnes and Noble and okay. any uh, any retailer that sells books, as well as on um, my publishing platform, which is WebsterWorks.com. Great. Well, maybe uh, hopefully some people will find uh, find that of interest and of help. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what what uh, what thoughts do you have? from your experiences and from going through this process that you would say to someone, and, and obviously everyone can't quit their job and go into another field. Um, you know, and I think in, in some ways that must've been, uh, an uplifting and also scary thing to do, but what in a general sense, I mean, what, what sorts of things, um, do you think are worth thinking about for people 
going through their own version of these sorts of experiences and maybe having some of the same struggles, some different, um, that you think people should at least uh, consider and take to heart as they try to navigate their own journey? That's a tough question. And um, I actually, I, I've been thinking about this one, especially, you know, in framing a, a book around my experience. Um, and I think it would be especially, especially for the young adult um, dealing with, with a cancer diagnosis or, or any, any kind of life altering challenge um, is to be open, to be open to life, not going to plan um, to be open to all the resources and people around you that can help you and to be opening, uh, to be open, to listen to your body and hear what it has to tell you. Because I learned that the body is one hell of a force. Um, so if, if you can really kind of open yourself, um, to, to all the possibilities that this diagnosis might bring you the good things that would be, that would be my advice. Mm -hmm. So clearly writing was very helpful to you, other people, um, you know, and, and I'm sure it's a mixture of different things. You know, some people develop new relationships with family and friends. Some people get into exercise, nutrition, different sorts of things. Um, any other themes that uh, aspects of life one way or another that have kind of taken on greater importance to you or been particularly helpful to you um, as, you, as you've gone through this beside, beyond the process of writing, which seems to have been pretty therapeutic in itself? I'm actually, um, I, I notice now post-diagnosis and post-treatment, I am much more aware of things I eat, um, of my activity level. I'm much more aware of what my body is telling me, how it's communicating with me. Um, I used to push myself in ways that, you know, I'd, I'd stay up all night to, for if I had a tight deadline or I'd skip meals or, you know, I'd do that high intensity workout class in the morning, even though if I was really tired, um, I am now, uh, very, brazen and unapologetic about what my body needs and um, establishing those limits. And that I can attribute to um, the diagnosis and, and the course through treatment. Well, I want to really thank you for uh, for being here with us today. And I think that um, there's, there's a lot out there, you know, when people are diagnosed with cancer um, and going through it, there's a lot out there that people read and see and it tends to be very um, granular. Do this, don't do this. Eat this, don't eat this. And one of the hardest things is really the experience and the feelings that people have. And that doesn't come across so easily um, in what a doctor or a nurse or, or providers give. And a lot of that can only really be given by talking to and hearing from and sharing the experience with others who have been through it. So I think, you know, today here you've given us a flavor of this. And I think that is a message, particularly for the AYA group, where having peers and, and I don't want to say colleagues, but uh, others that are sharing the experience is not so easy. And I think it's an important message to seek that out, particularly for adolescent, young adult patients um, who don't quite have the quote unquote network of 
of of people. And I think you're doing a great service by talking to us today. And again, um, you know, I, your your book seems to be a great way to also even get more uh, more sense of what it was like for you. And I know that uh, no doubt people can take uh, take away some some messages that'll be helpful for them. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed um, our discussion and kind of sharing some of my insights. Great. Well, we'll wrap up today's uh, episode. I want to encourage the audience uh, to write to us at cancercast at med.cornell.edu, cancercast at med.cornell.edu with questions, comments, and topics you'd like to see us cover more in depth in the future. That's all for us today here at CancerCast, conversations about new developments in medicine, cancer care, and research. I'm Dr. John Leonard. Thanks for tuning in today. Cancer and cancer treatment can be very hard on the body. Rehabilitation medicine can help cancer patients recover from swollen joints, surgery, and other painful side effects. Be sure to listen to Back to Health, our rehabilitation medicine podcast featuring conversations with leading specialists about rehab, the latest research, and innovations. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Weill Cornell Medicine as an institution.